About a year and a half ago, I moved to a neighborhood just outside of Washington, D.C. COVID demanded we move so that we weren't sitting at a folding card table in our living room all day for work, and also our dog was getting bigger and was going a little stir-crazy. So for our sanity and hers, we decided to move out of the city so we could get a little more space for the same cost. I had also just been married and leased a car in the same week, so we were really doing it all at once. Our new neighborhood has a kind of sleepy, small-town feel, lots of kids running around in a cute little Main Street area. And now that it's nice and quiet, we can take our neurotic and anxious dog on as many walks a day as she needs. Clementine. Which is three. Come here. At the very least. You want to go outside? Sit. Good girl. There's a path that cuts through the neighborhood up to a park lined with trees, and we walk it every day. Come on, girl. One day, my dog was going to the bathroom when she ran up to a box and started sniffing. No sticks. Not wanting her to eat anything, which she would have if I wouldn't stop her, I went up behind and noticed it wasn't just any box. It was actually a tiny house. I thought... Oh, cute. Some kid was playing and left their dollhouse out or something. It's springtime. We should leave it in case they come back. So over the next few weeks, every day, I notice strange things like this. Little dots of color on the trees, dangling bits of chain, beads and shiny stones lining knots of scars in the bark. And inside of them, tiny doors. Some were purple, pink, blue. Others had little stairs or walkways. Some had entire structures that they would be attached to with little yards and rock gardens. And when I say I would see them everywhere in the neighborhood, I mean it. I think I found at least 50 of these things over the past year in total. After all this time, I started scouring the internet, searching local news sites, social media posts in my area, the dreaded next door, all to find out what these tiny little entryways were made for. And I finally found it. These were the homes of the fairies. The fairies of Del Rey. And I declared right then and there, I was going to meet my new neighbors. Fairies have been living in the world of humans in some form or another for hundreds of years. There's tales of fairy people in cultures all over the world. You've probably heard of the widely accepted Icelandic belief in elves, small beings who highly resemble the fairies many of us are familiar with. Some might think those who believe in fairies are childish, but prominent figures you might know and respect were actively trying to prove their existence as recently as the 1960s. For instance... The Fairy Investigation Society was an international group who collected observations of fairy sightings and included the likes of Hugh Dowding, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and Walt Disney among its ranks. The term fairy rings is a colloquialism for circles of mushrooms and were supposedly signs that witches, elves, or fairies had danced upon the ground and were to be avoided. Generally, fairies are regarded as mischievous creatures— some even leaning towards malevolent. But that's kind of a stereotype. Others claim fairies are as kind as the famous Tinkerbell. 
they generally appear in rural places, where they can live out their curious lives away from the stuffy and prying eyes of folks like us. However, as it turns out, urban fairies are a relatively new and growing population. I decided to track down an expert who could tell me more about the migratory patterns of these fey folk before I introduce myself to my neighbors, lest I say something insensitive without knowing better. I'm Jonathan Wright, and I am a certified fairyologist, trained graphic designer and illustrator. And I've had 35 years in the gift industry, primarily children's products. Jonathan is founder of Urban Fairies of Ann Arbor, an organization helping educate the community of Ann Arbor, Michigan, about their fairy neighbors. Jonathan was sort of a de facto ambassador to them, and he's not really sure why but he has a few ideas as to why he was the right choice. Oh, it began in my youth, I, I suppose. I was raised on fairy tales and folklore, so that set some foundation to, to my life. And coincidentally, or maybe by fate, I met my wife at college. We both went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and she's an educator. She's uh, of Irish descent and also raised on fairy tales and folklore. So she, even as a small girl, about four or five, went to Ireland and was hunting fairies and leprechauns. Jonathan and his wife loved fairy tales, but never had the opportunity to meet a fairy before. That was until some unexpected construction opened a door to a whole new world. We always had little people in our house. The little people that were in our house were actually humans. Kathleen started out with a preschool program in the house, and when we put on an addition, one of the exterior walls became a stairway. Underneath the stairway was a wedge space, which was a closet. Well, as I was doing this, it's like, that that's a weird shape, if you can picture it in your mind, this, this wedge of cheese under a stair. So what I decided to do was put about a half-size door to the right of that, and that was the door for some of the child care kids. They could go in and out of it if they wanted or, or go in there and hang things up. That's when we discovered the first fairy door. So there's a little Harry Potter closet underneath the stairs, an even smaller child-sized coat closet next to that one, and third in line, out of nowhere, in the baseboard, they soon found a six-inch tall matching door. The door opens up and there's a smaller staircase within there. And if you put your head way down, you can see at the top of that staircase, there's another door, which as far as we know has always been closed and maybe locked. And that was the first door in about 1993. The kids, uh, they were enamored with it. They, they enjoyed the one that's their size, but the one that was smaller where they'd have to lay on their stomachs and peer inside, they would report seeing things and it was the perfect spark for some imaginative play and uh, sparked their interest. And adults alike, you know, when the adults would come in the house, they, they thought it was great fun as well because it reminded them of their youth. Cool? Absolutely. A little invasive? Could be. But who knows? You know, maybe the fairies were there the whole time and just took this opportunity to do some construction of their own. Maybe it was the rights who had intruded. Luckily, the fairies didn't seem to mind. They kept to themselves and didn't ever complain about all of the newfound attention their residents seemed to garner. Over the years, 
The kids in the childcare, Jonathan's daughters included, grew to love their fairy neighbors, though Jonathan never really had an opportunity to meet them. He just assumed they liked their privacy. Little did Jonathan know that over a decade later, his neighbors would be fairy pioneers, the first of a wave of fairies moving to urban cities and setting down roots. Ann Arbor, Michigan, for instance, became a major hub for fairy immigration. 2005, that's, that's when the first one appeared downtown Ann Arbor. And that was on the outside of Sweetwater's Coffee and Tea, and a door showed up in the foundation next to the sidewalk there. And it just, one, one day, there it is. But the owners really loved it. They didn't know anything about it going in, but once it was there, they, they thought it was wonderful. And sure enough, the door reappeared inside there. That same spring, summer, more of them popped up. The Salo Chevelle Gallery down and across the street, one at the Ark, which is a folk music venue. One showed up a block back over a gift store, uh, Red Shoes, a Peaceable Kingdom, which is a wonderful gift store. They started multiplying from there. All across town, people were finding these six-inch tall doors, all different. Some matched the buildings they were attached to. Some were completely unique. Some looked residential, while others might have been a fairy commercial venture. The mystery of the little people moving into town captivated Ann Arbor, young and old. I spent a lot of time at, at Sweetwaters, and, and it was really fun and gratifying for me to, to sit there and just watch people discover it. And you'd know that they weren't after a coffee. They'd come in and they'd beeline, you know, looking for a fairy door. And others would just kind of stumble on it and wonder, you know, what in the world is that about? And it was just fun to watch what happened because as people discovered them, they started talking about it because it's it's a curious phenomena. And that that was really interesting because none of this was advertised. Soon enough, Jonathan, the first Ann Arborite to have one move into his own house, was faced with a predicament. It almost seemed it was his duty, his quest, his calling, to bridge the gap between these two communities, human and fairy. I started a website, urban-fairies.com, where I posted pictures of the fairy doors and reactions and what was going on. It's still up, so be sure to check it out. But he ended up taking it one step further. He wanted to become an expert in the field. This was around the time when I, I became certified as a ferryologist. Uh, I, I thought, well, you know, I, I need to report on this. I need to publish my findings, as it were. So what does it take to become a ferryologist? Think of it like you would a biologist, an entomologist, an anthropologist even. You need to take field notes, make as objective observations as you can, Hold yourself to a level of scientific rigor and more so you can share your findings with the scientific community. And the community was more than happy to get involved. One of the things that I did, and I'm really glad that I did, is I made uh, what I call journal guest, guest books, which were blank books that I would leave at the host locations. And I'd have them at the counter with a pen and with the first page inviting people to, to write their responses in there. So I, I, I got to look through these uh, journal guest books, and, and I've, uh, I think I've got probably over 60 of them. At the same time, 
something that was unexpected was a phenomenon I call fairy droppings. Now, it's not excrement. It is gifts. These are droppings for the fairies. So people who come to visit the fairies often leave things. And this was a spontaneous thing that happened as well. Now, this happened in our own home to a, a limited extent. So kids would write letters to fairies and whatnot. And it hadn't really occurred to me, foolishly, that that this would happen elsewhere too. So there would be letters written by children uh, inviting fairies to come live with them or asking what their house was like inside. And they would leave pennies and they would leave gummy bears. So those two things combined um, were, were interesting uh, pieces to this whole puzzle. So for years, Jonathan is collecting data on fairy sightings, droppings, and becoming known as the fairyologist of Ann Arbor. But there were still questions he had. I was often asked if I had ever seen a fairy. That's also an interesting question, because, and, and a legitimate one, because if you're studying something, well, hopefully, have you seen Bigfoot? You know, it's like, well, I saw evidence of him, you know, and that's kind of where, where I was at. I've seen a lot of evidence of these urban fairies. Their doors are physically there. That also ties in with the little kids. Little kids back in our house would often talk about the fairies, talk about seeing them, and I was in Sweetwaters one time, and a child of maybe five was adamant that they just saw a fairy run into that door. You know, they were telling their mom that they saw it. And that combined with those journals and the drawings that children would often make in the journals, taking that and my training as an illustrator, it sparked this idea to make a book about fairies. And of oh, right, luckily I have one right here. I ended up writing this book, Who's Behind the Fairy Doors? And it was taking these drawings that mostly children made, adults did too, and then extrapolating on them. Uh, so I, what I've done is I reproduced their original drawing on the left-hand side of a spread and then extrapolated from that with my own illustration of that trying to get a closer view of what some of these fairies might look like. And part of the way I was able to make this leap is there were some drawings of fairies and the fairy door. So I could see, oh my gosh, that drawing is meant to be this fairy door. You know, I can see the details. If I can take that level of detail that they've made and say, okay, this to this is that fairy door, this fairy to this. It's, it's algebra, basically, <laughs> uh, is how that book came about. And that was, that, that was kind of a fun find. I, I had not planned on making this book, but it just kind of came about. Jonathan is still unsure if he's ever seen a fairy for himself. Mainly children are reporting sightings. This goes well with Jonathan's whole, let's just be honest here, shtick. He's very wink-wink, nudge-nudge about the whole endeavor. He's the one who found the first door in his house, 
The coffee shop he frequented happened to be the first place where the first one showed up publicly. But as much as he keeps up what some see as an act, he does admit to making some of the fairy doors as part of the Urban Fairies of Ann Arbor project. But not all. The way he described it to me, it's kind of like the difference between birds' nests and bird houses. The bird house can attract birds, make them feel at home and welcome, but they'll always make their own nest. I don't think he's trying to pull one over on anyone by any means. It's not a prank or a con or lying. He's just trying to show the fairies they're welcome. One of the things that I think has made it successful is that I think people understood, most people understood, that it was a sincere thing. It's, it's like the great pumpkin. And so that, that's been really fun. I like the idea that they spontaneously appeared. People just found them, as opposed to everyone's alike, that they're all cookie cutters and they're all the same. And there, there's, a, there's a mythology and a story behind these. It's been one of the more gratifying things that I've done. Our children, the two, two girls are probably number one, and then uh, our house is, is behind that, and then the fairy doors. Is, you know, there, there are things that I've done in, in my time, but this, this one's been, it's a labor of love. So fairies are migrating to my neighborhood, or if Jonathan is any indication, are perhaps being attracted here because someone is trying to show them what kind of real estate is available. I thought, I need to track down someone who knows about the specific fairy doors in my community. Someone has got to have noticed him at this point. They're all over. Luckily, I soon found the woman who is responsible for all of the fairies in my neighborhood. Her name is Kate Young. I am the fairy realtor of Alexandria, Virginia. I am a trained motion graphics artist and a hobby miniature artist. However, Kate is much more than just what her official title might suggest. She's a realtor, foreperson, contractor, city manager, and community ambassador all in one. An entire fairy society has cropped up here in Delray, Virginia, all because of her hard work. There are so many houses now. I have put up over 100 houses at this point. And I've made houses and offices and businesses and apothecaries. And I'm working on the library right now. Kate's accomplished a great deal with her fairy community. And so I wondered, how did she get started? I started at the basement because I had just moved home after school and I had just lost a job and I was not doing good. So I was taking walks a lot and a little girl had set up a fairy garden. I was just so taken with it and in such a bad spot that I started leaving it gifts and flowers and I'd walk around and I'd make a little grocery bag out of a leaf and put berries by it. My brother was like, you're weird. 
it caught to Halloween. I had gotten some polymer clay out from when I was still in college, and I was thinking about how to make little pumpkins for there to be like, oh, we'll dress up. And my dad turns to me and goes, you can't take over someone else's project. You have to make your own or something. So I was like, okay. And so I ended up starting to make houses and I was just looking for jobs. And so I'd make the clay colors as I worked. And I was like, if I get three job apps done, I'll make a door. And it just started from there. And my walks turned from just walking around to like, where can I put a house? When I started, I was using polymer clay, which I learned later, if it is out in bright sun and rain, will just crumble. So I lost like the first like 50 or 60 of them to just like the weather. I've moved on to epoxy clay, glitters, and for about a year and a half, like I didn't know if anyone was seeing them. They're at kid height. So like no adults are seeing them and the squirrels are taking them and kids are taking them and they're just crumbling and I'm like, whatever until about a year and a half in. So one day, Kate's walking along, looking for places to put doors, when she sees an adult and a couple of kids a little bit off the path through the neighborhood, near one of the doors she's placed before. This mom and her two daughters, they were in Mount Jefferson Park. So Kate, trying not to be too odd, hangs back a little and just kind of watches them. And I eventually got to see them doing what I call the fairy squat, which is like the specific way you kind of get down because your knees up by your ears because they're so low. And I was like, oh, hey. And I'm out there with like this big purple coat on and this little backpack with fairy wings on. After that, I have started becoming more open about like, hi, it's me. Kate is now generally known as the fairy realtor in the community. But she's very particular, just like Jonathan, with how much she shares about her project and what her precise involvement is. At least, when kids are around, she is. I don't want the parents to point me out while I'm putting out a house. I don't want the kids to know it's me. I'm the realtor, and that is it. So that that magic can stay as long as possible. Because I love the idea of the kids being able to like envision who lives in these houses. It's building a community of fairies, and I just happen to be the person that gets the fairies' houses, so I'm the realtor. As well-known as she is for being the fairy godmother of Del Rey, that doesn't mean she hasn't run into some issues. Kate's still in the early ages of her project, and as such has taken a guerrilla art approach to the whole thing. I am doing graffiti. I know this is graffiti. This is an art installation that is not like the city's gonna take this down if I'm like too obvious with it and we've had like kids steal them or they get hit by bikes or lawnmowers it's whatever even if it's a little under the radar and outside the law Kate's still trying to make her community more inviting and is respectful of others wishes she considers it part of her responsibility as someone creating something for kids especially when a tree gets like a scar the bark will peel away and it looks like a perfect door and so I'll put a knob on it and paint it and I've had a couple people like I put that up and they've like taken that down and so I'm like okay this block is blacklisted this park is blacklisted because I need to make sure that these kids who are my fairy hunters are safe doing that and I don't want them to go on the street looking for the fairy doors and they get on someone's property and then they get screamed at. I'm like, that's not what's going on. So yeah, we've had pushback, but 
it's been more positive than anything. Getting feedback from the neighborhood has been particularly helpful for Kate, even more than she ever expected. She'll ask on Facebook or local sites for old trinkets and knickknacks for her projects. But I basically went on there and was like, hey, do you guys have any trash? Do you have any broken pottery? Did you pave your house and it didn't work? Do you have any paint? I'm like, hi, I'm the fair realtor. I want to make more complex steps. I can't get this on my own. Do you want to give me your trash? At first, when she started asking this, Kate was pretty nervous. A woman not only asking for used things online, but trash and refuse and broken things specifically? She wasn't expecting much. But as soon as she posted it... Everyone's like, yes, I want to give you my trash. I ended up, oh my god, I had to like go get a bin for the backyard for the amount of stuff I got have now from just like people. Now that they know where I live, they just like leave broken plates on my front step all the time, which is fantastic. I love it. Every time I'm like, hey, the fairies need this thing, I get like eight people ready to go. After a year or so of being open about her project, she was now a little more well-known in the area. So much so that she had people coming to her and not just asking how she makes her doors and stuff, but specifically saying, will you put a door on my house? How much does it cost, etc. I had been open to commissions for a while, but I started noticing people being like, what do you make your door out of? My kids want to make one. But the materials I make it out of are super toxic. It's like epoxy sculpt, it's UV resin, it's acrylic paints that don't come out of kids' clothes. So I was like, let's figure out how to make this safe. And so I ended up starting to make doors that people could buy. So I wasn't making them all by hand constantly. And I made the first kit. So now there's like a kit that you can get. It comes with like an original door that I've cast and paint and glitter and anything you could ever want for fairies. And I'm currently working on um, getting bigger stuff up. I am experimenting with um, a nightlight incense holder kit that kids can get and it's made of teapots. So people are just giving me teapots now which is great because I don't have to go dig through a thrift store for them. So Kate Young, the fairy realtor of Del Rey, is making a small name for herself within the neighborhood. But the kids are only so interested in her. They have bigger ideas. I've only really become public with them in about the last year or so. With putting up the post office, the kids were starting to really want to communicate with the fairies. So I ended up building this fairy house that's made out of a letters to Santa bin that I got from Michael's. And it just like covered in coffee stirs and whatnot. So I can know that the letters are safe and I can go and get them when I need. The post office is run by the postmaster. Her name is Violet because that's my favorite flower and they grow everywhere around Ashby Street. So her name is Violet and she lives in the post office and her magic is she's able to shrink things and make things bigger and she attaches her letters to bumblebees and sends them out and that is the story. It was specifically at this point that the neighborhood changed. Suddenly, everyone was home all the time. Kids were out in their yards more often. There weren't stretches of workday where most people were either off in the city or at school for her to sneak around and stick doors on trees. For a long time, it was just, like, fun. And it's really important to me, especially now. I get letters to kids like, do fairies get COVID? And I'm like, no, fairies are immune. Or what happens when this happens? And, like, are you okay? And, like, the fairies are, like, not in any of the bullshit. 
going on now and I think it really helps like I get like messages from parents of like sending me like photos of their kids with their letter like this is the best thing that's happened all week because they can't get outside and be able to go no fairies are immune to COVID they can't get COVID that was really big As Kate was telling me all about how important the fairies had become during this very trying time, I realized she and Jonathan, who have never met or spoken, as far as I'm aware, were basically motivated by the same things. It wasn't just doors or crafting or graffiti. It was what was behind them. The mystery, the magic, the moment of discovery. When I was the age these kids are, I found a lot of comfort in fantasy. Those stories and the idea of a little creature living with us and living in the walls was a, was a lot of fun. All of those ideas that escape into fantasy really, really helped me get through the all of a sudden you're eight years old and you know your mortality. I think people who are familiar with those stories resonated with the little door. And even if they weren't, it's just kind of charming. And the fact that it is, it's become not just a me project, it's become a community project. With art, you are usually in two points. You're either in the point where you are learning, or you are in the point where you're giving back because you've already made it. And it's been very cool to become the part where I'm no longer the kid who needs all the help. Like, I think you always need help and you always need to learn, but I've gotten to the point in life where I get to give back. My part in this is to help people engage their imagination and to really embrace it. I think it's really important to spark one's imagination so that we can move forward and think of new things that that might never have been. The fact that they needed it like that, they needed to make sure Violet was okay and the fairies were okay and it's like my love letter to my hometown is getting love letters back. I guess there's just a lot of love in it. Only Guide Me by Surprise is written, produced, and edited by me, Landry Ayers. The music in this story was by Blue Dot Sessions and Kevin McLeod. Thank you so much to the fairy experts I spoke to in this episode, Kate Young and Jonathan Wright. If you want to see Jonathan's doors, you can either visit Ann Arbor, Michigan, or go to www.urban-fairies.com. And Kate Young's project can be found at www.fairiesofdelray.com. You can find them both on Facebook, and you can also follow Kate on Instagram and see some behind-the-scenes door-making content on her TikTok. If you want to hear more stories like this, and maybe some that aren't so much like it, you can subscribe to this feed, and I ask please share it with a friend if you do so. Thanks for listening, and you'll hear more from me soon.